Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that you have given us your word to know you, to learn of you, to grow us in our faith. Father, we, we confess uh, along with Peter in your word that there are time, at times things that are difficult for us to understand in them. And so we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts now by your Holy Spirit, that we might truly know you through your word, and you might plant it deep within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Last week, we began our study in the book of Habakkuk. We saw that Habakkuk is in a season of waiting, longing for God to act, and wrestling with the question of how a just God could allow evil to go unchecked. He brings that question to God, interacting with the Father in prayer. And rather than being rebuked, God shows Habakkuk that he is always working, often in ways that we would never see or expect. Habakkuk never would have imagined that God would deal with Judah's sin by sending the Chaldeans, the the people we know as the Babylonians, to conquer them and to send them into exile. And yet that is exactly what God promises to do. That brings up an important question, one that Habakkuk asks and that we often ask as well. What do you do when the answer that God gives you makes no sense to you? What about when God's actions are so surprising, so shocking, so contrary to what you would do that you find them incomprehensible or perhaps even offensive? These are good questions to ask because the truth is they're bound to come up as we live our lives of faith. And they certainly come up from people that don't believe in Jesus. Scripture tells us that the cross is foolishness and a stumbling block to many. To man, it's incomprehensible that God could die. It's absurd to believe that the divine would stoop so low as to come as a man in Jesus Christ. And many would claim that Jesus' claim to be the only way to God is offensive as well. And for so many, the idea that grace pardons the guilty and lets them go free is preposterous. And yet all of these things are the plain teaching of Scripture. Sometimes the actions and teachings of God are so shocking and out of the norm for us that they offend our cultural norms. And so what do we do when that's the case? Well, one answer is reject God. Find his ways, so, ways of working and his teachings so beyond the pale that we can't follow him. That is one possible answer. But if we reject God, who or what will we set up in his place? 
Because as the book of Habakkuk teaches us, we will serve a master of some kind. If we look at chapter 2, verse 5, we read, Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects all his own and collects as his own all peoples. God is speaking of the Babylonians here. And he is pointing out that their lust for power has created all consuming monsters of them and in them. Now the word wine here might sound a little odd. And some have actually translated it wealth instead of wine. But the point here is the same. The meaning behind it is the same. It stands for luxury and comfortable living. The Babylonians are a conquering horde, destroying every enemy in their path because their greed is as wide as Sheol, as death. They consume more and more and more, but it will never end. They will never have enough. And it is because, as we read last week, their might is their God. They worship and serve that which gives them their heart's desire. It's what all people do. We worship and serve the one or the thing that we believe will give us our heart's desire. The Babylonians believe their own power and might will give them the wealth and the luxury that they desire, and so they worship it, but it will not last. Daniel chapter 5 tells us of the swift end of the Babylonian empire as they are erased by the Persians. The Babylonians exchanged the truth of God for lies, serving themselves and rejecting the God of heaven. The warning here is that if we reject God, each and every one of us will do the same. We believe that rejecting God will lead to free living. Doing what I want, free of all those constraints and the the rule-keeping of Christianity. After all, that's what Christianity is, isn't it? Keeping the rules. The reality is that we merely exchange the true God for an idol of our own creation. That idol has no power in itself and no ability to satisfy our longings, And so we will continue to consume and seek and consume and seek until we either confess and return to God or are crushed by our idolatry. That is where rejecting God leads, inevitably. And so if rejecting God because of his apparent offensiveness will not work, what is the alternative? while Habakkuk kindly provides it for us. Notice his reaction to God's answer that he is going to deal with the sin of Judah by bringing the Babylonians. Habakkuk doesn't reject God, but neither does he just throw up his hands and and turn off his brain saying, well, I don't understand any of that, but you're God and I'm not. So, you know, just, just go ahead, do your thing, have at it. No. 
Habakkuk presses in. He doesn't understand what God is doing, and so he pursues God by faith. See, we saw last week how Habakkuk brings his concerns and questions to God and is not rebuked for it. And the same thing happens here. Many of us, many, many Christians function under this idea that we should never ask God questions. And they would point to different parts of Scripture that seem to support that. But what Habakkuk shows us is that there's a difference between asking questions of God and questioning God. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, questioning God is responding to him with, how dare you? Who do you think you are? If you are who you say you are, then you never would have allowed this or you never would have done that. Well, who decided that? You see, that's what questioning God does. It puts us in his place, assuming that we know better than he does because we don't understand or we don't agree with something he has said or something he has done. It assumes we know better. And we try to play God ourselves. Now that is not a response born of a heart of faith, but a consuming heart. One that seeks to control and demand its own way. Asking questions of God, though, is born out of a heart that doesn't understand that doesn't know why God is doing something or, or why he's chosen a particular way to act, but that genuinely desires to understand it. A heart that understands that he is God and we are not. And that the God that we worship is one that delights in revealing his purposes and plans and his character to his people. One heart questions who God is. The other heart questions why the God that we know would do this or do that, would act in a certain way, but never questions who he is or what they know of him. Habakkuk hears the answer to his cry for justice, and he responds, Lord, like, I get Judah's got some problems. There's a whole bunch of problems in Judah, and they need to be dealt with. But the Babylonians? Have you seen them? How does it make any sense at all that you're going to solve the problem of Judah's sinfulness by sending in the biggest, baddest, most sin-ridden empire on the planet? How does that work? But look at how he asks. Verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? You have ordained them, O Rock. You have established them. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil. You see, throughout his prayer, he grounds his questions in God's very nature. God is from everlasting, meaning he always was and always will be. He is greater and knows more than us. He is the Holy One with pure eyes. He cannot sin nor do anything that is sinful. 
He has ordained and established, meaning that God is sovereign. He is in control. He is all-powerful. He is so powerful, in fact, that he directs and commands a nation that worships their own power, showing how powerless they truly are. He's the rock, the sure foundation that cannot be moved. That is who God is. That is who Habakkuk knows his Lord to be. And so all that he asks of him is rooted in those truths. That is not questioning God. It's pursuing him by faith. It's saying, Lord, I know That you are this. That I know all of this to be true of you. Help me to understand. Help me to understand how this occurrence, this action, this silence even fits together. Help me, Lord. It is not rejecting him or turning off our brains. It is pursuit. Is seeking, and Jesus tells us that the one who seeks finds. If we seek the Lord, if we turn to Him with our whole heart, we find Him. And so when something is happening in the world or in our lives, we can ask questions of God. We can bring them to Him, but we do so with all of our questions rooted in the truth of who God is that He is love, that He is holy that he is sovereign, and that he is Lord. Rather than reject God, we are to pursue him faithfully, coming to him by faith with questions asked in good faith. And as we pursue God by faith, he gives us the assurance of faith. What the book of Hebrews calls the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And this assurance comes from the same place that Habakkuk bases his prayer on, the truth of who God is, and specifically how that relates to how God acts. Because God is holy and pure and sovereign, and so we can trust that he will do what he says he will do. If that is true of God, then he cannot lie to us. And God spells this out to Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is declaring that the people of Judah will be judged. Babylon is coming. It is sure. But it might not happen the next day, or the day after that, or the day after that. It will happen at God's appointed time, and that's the phrase we want to notice here. The vision will be carried out at the appointed time, and that is where the struggle is for us. Because God's appointed time, his perfect timing, is rarely, if ever, when we would choose to have something happen. And so it means waiting. That activity we all love so much. And in our waiting, we can waver. Why aren't you? When will you? 
As much as we might not like it, the truth being conveyed here is at just the right time. In God's perfect timing, God will act to see his will done. It's what he did in Jesus. Paul writes, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why did Jesus come when he did? Why did he come 2,000 years ago? Why did he come in a backwater town in the middle of nowhere? Because it was God's perfect plan at his perfect time. That's why. In God's sovereignty, sin and injustice are dealt with at just the right time and in just the right way. And so God's encouragement to Habakkuk and to us through him is don't let the waiting discourage you. I will act exactly at the right moment. And the fact that God states that it will happen at his appointed time, of course, means it will happen. We can trust him. He's true to his word. It will surely come, he says to Habakkuk. And it did. Babylonians came. And Judah was sent into exile. He acts in his time and in his way. He will act. It is that truth that allows Habakkuk to make a bold and faith-filled declaration. In his prayer, he says, we shall not die. What? (laughs) I'm sorry, did, did you not hear, Habakkuk, that God just said that the Babylonians are coming? They're not coming to break bread and chat about the state of the world. They're coming to conquer. How could you possibly say this? And when they came, sadly, a whole lot of people did die. How could Habakkuk say this? Was he wrong? No. It's a declaration of faith, of greater purpose that is born not out of the reality of his immediate circumstances, but the reality that God is faithful and true to his word. Out of the assurance that God will act on the promises he has made. And those are eternal promises. Promises that don't change. Promises like the one that he gave to King David that God would place on the throne, one of David's line. And that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. And so God's people will never end. They shall never die. They will not be overcome. It's a promise that finds its fulfillment in the first coming of Christ. He is the the promised king of the line of David. And through faith in Jesus, God promises that his people will be given a new heart and a new spirit. That they will be his people and he will be their God forever. And so along with Habakkuk, we who believe in Jesus can declare, we shall not die. Because in Jesus, our sins are no more, and God's promises to us are eternal. At just the right time, God acted in Jesus Christ according to his eternal promises. And though it may seem slow to us, at just the right time, at the Father's perfect, appointed time, Jesus will return and bring to fulfillment all that he has promised. That there will be no crying or tears anymore. That there will be no sickness or COVID or cancer anymore. 
That the former things will pass away as we are given salvation and eternity with our Lord. We shall not die. Faith in Christ then should give us a bigger perspective. An eternal perspective. A perspective that causes us to come to conclusions about who God is, not based on what we are living through in any given moment, but the eternal. There is no doubt that many churches and many people are facing trying times right now. And we don't want to downplay that in any way. Many are struggling But the reality of our struggling does not negate the promise of God. It does not change who He is. And so in our struggle, we can pursue Him more deeply. We can have the assurance that His word and His promises are true. And when we have that eternal perspective, we are reminded that God's love for His people is never-ending. How could I possibly say that from a passage where he's pronouncing judgment on his people? Wow, look at the text. Look at what he does here. God tells Habakkuk, write down the vision. Make it plain so that people can understand it. Why? So he may run who reads it. Judah has constantly rebelled against God. They have sinned and sought to make themselves like all the other nations. Ignoring God to follow powerless idols of wood and stone. And yet even though judgment on their sin is coming, God still offers them a way out. He makes plain what is to happen. And so he who has ears to hear and eyes to see may run and be saved. It is an act of compassion for his people. It is compassion to provide a way out for a people worthy of nothing less than judgment. It is the very thing that God has offered all people in Jesus Christ. So that we can have our sins forgiven. So that we can be reconciled with our Father in heaven. And so that when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. If you need any evidence that the promise of God is sure, it is that he sent his son. He sent his son to be king on the throne of David and to provide for the father a people to live with him eternally. He is a God who keeps his promises and Jesus is the embodiment of that. We are to pursue God by faith. And in doing so, we are given the assurance of faith that God is who he says he is and he will act how he says he will act. And Jesus is living evidence of it. And all that comes from faith. (laughs) Habakkuk chapter 2 contains a refrain that is taken up powerfully in the New Testament. Verse 4. The righteous shall live by his faith. 
We pursue God in faith, having the assurance of faith, because God has granted to his people the gift of faith, and it is by faith in Christ that life is given to us, not by what we are doing or what we are accomplishing, but his sheer grace and faith in him. And so just as Habakkuk does in chapter 2, verse 1, we can take our stand at the watchpost. We can look out and wait upon our Lord in the sure confidence that he is firmly in control of all of our days. We won't always be sure of what's going to happen in a given moment, and when that is the case, we can bring our longings and our questions to him in the full assurance that while we might not know, he does. And one day he will return and bring to fulfillment all that he has promised. And so we, along with Habakkuk, faithfully wait upon him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you have provided a way for your people. That it is by sheer grace and faith that we are reconciled to you and that you grant us eternal life. Father, we pray that in days of struggle, in days of joy, in all our days, you would remind us of that and that you would give us your eternal perspective on things. So that no matter what is happening in life, we might rest in the promises of your word. That you are a God who loves us. That you sent your son for us. Give us that hope as we wait upon him. In Jesus' name, amen.